It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to kick this thing off right by inviting Jesus uh, to take the helm. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your life given. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would bring to bear upon us as your church the desire, the designs, the purposes of Jesus. And that as all of our eyes are turned to Jesus, I pray that the Father would receive the glory that is due his name. Lord, we celebrate the three in one. We celebrate the grand work of God on our behalf. We celebrate the gospel afresh this morning. Lord, may our hearts shout forth your praises and may we be bent in worship as we uh, come before your word and uh, cherish which you have given to us, to instruct us, to lead us, to change us, to empower us. Lord, we desire for the manifold wisdom of God to be revealed into the heavenly realms in and through us this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. All right. So, uh, usually on a... Tuesday, Nathan Johnson is going to be uh, leading. In fact, he's going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And because he's actually en route right now to uh, Israel, uh, where he's going to be starting uh, one of his tours out there. In fact, if you ever really want to consider going to Israel for a a great tour, not necessarily a touristy tour, but a study tour, uh, where you actually dig deep into the scriptures and dig deep into... uh, what the land of Israel signifies as far as its revelation of Christ, uh, consider going with, with Nathan, with sort of, sort of an Ellerslie-esque version of a tour of Israel. And so we're going to be excited uh, over the next, oh, I don't know, week or so. Tomorrow we're going to have uh, very likely a special guest in here because I'm leaving for, for Michigan. And, uh, and then after that, God willing, we should start to have Nathan Johnson streams from uh, Israel. So we'll be uh, able to... Uh, sort of take a peek at the tour that he is on, and he's with 30 other students, and it should be extremely fun uh, and edifying for all of us. So, uh, so again, I'm not usually on a Tuesday, but here I am, and I've had a lot of special uh, editions. I had a special mini-series last week, and uh, done a special, a couple uh, unusual Daily Thunder spots. Uh, but today, I'm going to return to. The, the series that I was on before all that, which is called Life Lessons. And uh, last week I actually had a session that I would have said would have been a life lesson, but it fit well into that mini-series that I was doing on Joshua Harris. And, uh, and that was the one called Wearing the Dunce Cap. It was Friday's edition. If you could pick that one up, I, th- I would highly uh, recommend it, uh, just as far as a, a life lesson and great life lesson material. It's, it's had a huge impact on my life as far as the reasoning and the thinking. This one dovetails with that, but it's slightly different. It's just a different angle on a similar notion. 
And that's how most of the truth of the word of God is. It's the kingdom of heaven. And you could look at it from this angle, this angle, this angle, the same diamond. And so, yeah, we're still looking at the same diamond, but we're looking at a different facet of it. So this life lesson, it's a funny title for it, but is what would they say? And I put they in quotations. You guys know they, don't you? Uh, it's one of those humorous things in, in our culture that we'll bring up. It's like, who exactly is they? And I remember Kel McElroy sent over some video of this group of three people that described them that they were they. They were the official they. So when someone talks about they, it's them. Uh, and it was pretty funny. But uh, they is a, is a placeholder for something in our life. And I've had many junctures in my life where uh, God's had to walk me through the fact and put his finger on a they. Because when you are given the truth of Scripture and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you believe he is your master, you, do, you believe that he has preeminence, why would you hesitate? Well, sometimes there's a they there. And it's like, well, 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 what would they say? It's like, now why, why do you care about what they say? And yet, we do. We care about what they say. And so it's this unique tension that we face in our spiritual development, and that's what I'd like to talk about, because what would they say is actually a life lesson. There is a proper way of appropriating this dimension of who we are, which, is, which immediately has a pause and a consideration of some other group, some other band that has an opinion on something. And it's like, that actually matters that we're wired this way, but we oftentimes are being... Uh, misused or misusing this attribute or being played by the enemy with it. So classic quotes about they. But what would they say? But they won't like it. But they won't approve. But they will never go for this. And it always, usually we know who they is, right? Have you ever stopped and just said, so who is they? And you usually have a placeholder. And sometimes it's just this imaginary concept out there uh, but there, there are placeholders, and God's put his finger on certain things in my life of different people that I desperately want to be approved by. I want them to pat me on the back and say, well done, Eric. And that over time, because you give that space to someone in your life, you actually uh, find yourself having a they, and it's, it really does control your thinking and your behaving. So listen to Proverbs 29. Uh, this is Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So there's a contrast. The Proverbs are great with creating those contrasts. And so we have the fear of man brings a snare. So oftentimes what we struggle with with the they is what we could call the fear of man. You know what radical Christians we could be if we didn't care at all what men thought? I mean, just imagine the heroics we could do because many of us have a very clear sense of what we should be doing, that the glory of God is at stake in this world, and there's people that are denying the realities of God and they need to hear. They need to hear the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, then why don't we share it all day long, every day at the top of our lungs? That's a good question. Well, I, I just don't feel led. I don't, I don't feel led to, to speak. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not good to feel led, but it does have a lot to do with the fact that we know we're in a culture that doesn't want to hear it. And so as a result, <clears throat> this fear of man can oftentimes be like a damper on the glory of what God desires to produce in our lives. Matthew 15, 12. 
This is, uh, I've had moments like this. This is just an interesting statement. Jesus handles these moments so dexterously. But his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I mean, all he was doing is saying something like, first clean the inside. No, I think it was like, uh, it's not what comes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of a man. He's like, hey, that's not that big of a deal. Well, that offended the Pharisees. They knew he was talking to them. <clears throat> Don't you realize that you just offended the religious system? <laughs> I remember I was at this one speaking event, uh, and it was called like a brave-hearted conference. So it's like, hey, people should come in expecting something brave-hearted. And so I was speaking, and just the way I would normally speak, I mean, you guys hear me speak this way all the time, but this group was not used to someone speaking authoritatively. And so there was some offense uh, going around. And so they came to the, I had a a young man traveling with me, and they actually came to this young man and said, could you uh, let Eric uh, know that uh, he's going to need to tame it down tomorrow? Uh, when he speaks. That's, that's a little too intense for, you know, for this group of people. So then this poor guy that's traveling with me is like, it's, it's like this, do, do you not know that this is a little too much for them? And it was an interesting moment for me because I was pausing because I'm thinking through it from two ways. There's my snarky, sarcastic response that I want to give to something like that, which doesn't benefit anyone, okay? It, it feels good sometimes to have it come out, like take a pot shot at anyone who would dare be offended, right? At the same time, it's like it's a modeling. How would Christ handle this? Now, Christ is very smooth, and he just sort of speaks the truth. It's like there's those that want life, and there's those that don't. And, you know, it's always so clear when Jesus speaks it. And I don't really remember what I said, but it was, it was one of those things like, you know, uh, I'm in a bind here because I know that they may want uh, truth served up to them in a, a certain way, but God has brought me here and he's given me a burden to say something specific and I need to go with that. He's like, oh, I know, I know. I just, I just thought that, you know, maybe you needed to hear what they said because they wanted me to tell it to you. I, go, I appreciate that. You've done your job well. Now uh, I'm responsible to do my job. And so those unique tensions in life, those are hard moments, uh, both for the little delivery boy, (laughs) the messenger. He actually wasn't a little boy. But the delivery guy uh, in that situation, and for me to know how to respond to these things, because all of us are in those situations. I want to appease an audience. The the basic framework of my speaking, uh, I, I started out with the idea of, okay, study your audience, so that you can effectively reach your audience, so your audience will enjoy your communications. What good is it as a communicator if your audience is offended? What what are you actually accomplishing? So I don't desire to offend an audience. Remember, this is a life lesson. This is something that God has worked deeply in me, and that is, Eric, are you willing to heed me even if it goes against the grain of your audience? And many of you have heard me say this before, that I have a superpower, okay? You know, we all have different superpowers, and my superpower is I can read an audience, sort of like someone can see, you know, like Superman can see through a brick wall, you know, to the other, he has x-ray vision or something like that. Does, does Superman have x-ray vision? It sounds funny all of a sudden. I don't know that he does. Maybe, maybe that was another superhero. But it's like he could see through the, uh, the, the brick wall and see the, the money inside of the safe. It's like, whoa, that's incredible. How did he do that? Well, it's sort of like, for me, I can read an audience. I can see, I know what people are feeling. It's a weird thing, but it's actually not what you really want when you're a speaker. 
especially when you're a speaker that God is uh, moving upon and you know that what you're about to speak is going to be very offensive? Well, I would rather not know that, God. I would rather just be blind and go, oh, I didn't know, I'm so sorry, but I know. And so it has created a unique tension in my life which has brought this issue to the surface Maybe at a heightened level than some other people would deal with it. Listen to John 9. <clears throat> it's a very interesting story that I think all of us can relate to in an unusual fashion. His parents answered them and said, so we're, we're in before the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. We, we have a, a big to-do going. Jesus has healed a blind man. And so this is a big thing because the blind man is declaring that Jesus healed him. And so, there, you know, is it true? Did this blind man get healed by Jesus? It's a huge thing for a guy who was born blind to suddenly be able to see in his later years. So his parents are brought in, and his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. Now what's interesting is that just sounds like a totally normal statement. It's like, hey, the parents are like, I don't know. I wasn't there when he got healed. And yet they do know exactly what happened to him because the son has told them. And yet they don't want to say it. Why? Well, it's going to actually tell us why. We actually know why the parents wouldn't speak in this situation. You see, if we don't really relate to the cultural phenomenon and the cultural dynamics of 2,000 years ago in uh, Judea, in the land of Israel, uh, we don't understand what it was like. And so for us, the idea of being thrown out of the synagogue is like, I'll be thrown out of the synagogue. It's fine with me. That is like complete separation from society. That's like the black mark, the black spot upon your life. That is the scarlet A. There is nothing worse than to be thrown out of the synagogue. That is public shame and humiliation. And at this time, anyone who would dare declare Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he was the answer, anyone that would speak fondly of Jesus was being blackballed. And so if you go into... Uh, Germany in the time of the Nazis, when the Nazi uh, regime was creeping into the culture, it starts very subtly. And they begin to pass laws to basically remove Jews from key positions. Jews aren't allowed to be teachers anymore. Jews are not allowed to be stage actors anymore. Jews are not allowed to have these sorts of businesses because they are influential. And so people are sort of like, you know what, that's strange, but, you know, hey, our government is just doing what it's doing. I don't want to stand against it. Then it began to progress to the point that if you went into a Jewish business, you were being associated with the Jew, and you will be treated like a Jew. If you befriend a Jew, if you had a friend that was a Jew and you still continue to be their friend, you will be treated like the Jews. And so what you see is a very similar phenomenon taking place where it's tearing people apart because they would rather be on the side of the government and the society than to maintain these friendships. So could you imagine being a Jew? and having every one of your friends disown you simply because you're Jewish. And what we see in this situation is we see a distancing from the Messiah. Because to ally with that Messiah means to go against the grain of the religious system, which was the system in Israel. See, our, 
Our religious system in America isn't the system. We have political correctness, societal correctness, which is our system. And it has the same uh, influence. You stand with that Messiah. You stand boldly with that Messiah. Well, you'll find out what happens. You'll be treated as that Messiah was treated. And so he's become a curse word in our generation, and so will you. And we feel this tension. And so we see it here. It's a fascinating story. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Big deal, guys. If anyone would associate with the Jew, he's going to be treated as the offscouring of the world. And so who wants to stand with the capital J, Jew? His name is Jesus. And so it's interesting, this tension has been there in every culture throughout history. There's a societal correctness and a political correctness. It's just that sometimes it's, it might not even be a bad thing. Do you know that every family has a correctness in it? It doesn't have to be a bad thing to have correctness. Like my kids are not allowed to run around without clothes on. And you could, it's just frowned upon in the Ludi house, right? We wear clothes in the Ludi house. And you could say, well, you know, that sounds wise. That's exactly right. But that's our family correctness. Okay, there's certain things that you don't do. You don't smack your food when you're eating. It is incorrect in the Ludi home. So it doesn't mean that all correctness and all societal grammar is wrong. It's just that it can be. And if it gets off, for instance, it begins to say, if you side with Jesus... You are against society. Now you're in a bind. You're in a pickle. Because now everything is stacked against you. You have to choose which one you're going to be with. You see, when you're in a family and you're dealing with just the proper uh, grammar of manner, uh, it's just, yeah, you take off your shoes maybe when you come into the house. Maybe you say, yes, sir, when your uh, dad asks you to do something. There's just different things, right? Those could be healthy. But what if they ask you to distance yourself from Jesus? What if they ask you to distance yourself from the Jews in a culture? What are you going to do? What if they say, hey, you're not allowed to talk about abortion as if it's bad? Hey, uh, what, what if they say you're not allowed to talk about uh, the LGBT movement as if it's dangerous? In other words, what if these restraints are there? Do we, do we give up? Do we say, well, I don't want to stand against the culture because the culture, of course, is just right, isn't it? This is called the fear of man. We want to be on the good side of the culture, so we oftentimes will placate instead of stand with Jesus. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Whoa, what a statement to describe modern Christianity. Let me read it again. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Okay, guys, I'm gonna have to read that last line again. This is a, this is a deep, deep thing here, and this is like strikes our American Christianity right at the heart. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So, I, I, I like the praise of men, Okay, I think it would be a weird statement to say, I, I don't want the praise of men. I want people to boo me. I want people to jeer me. I want people to hate me. No, I don't. I want people to like me. I want people to uh, encourage me. I want people to think that I'm doing a good thing, but I've had to die to it. 
and it's been a process in my life. Right when I think I'm dead to the applause of men, I find a little something awaken inside of me that's like, okay, God, I see that. Yeah, I, I really am desiring to have them say something nice to me. So we're very susceptible to the praise of men. And so it's almost like a volume knob. You need to just turn it down every day. You need to say, God, I'm turning down my need and my craving to listen to men's approval, and I want to turn up yours. And there's different people, especially they, whoever they are in your life, that you desire. And you could say, well, for they love the praise of they more than the praise of God. They love the approval of they more than the approval of God. Do you follow me on what I'm saying there? The seven most common pressure chambers. So life is full of pressure chambers, okay? They're they chambers, okay? And they're, they're different dimensions of life. And so when I say they, it's very general at first, but we could get very specific. There's political pressure, social pressure, peer pressure, church pressure, family pressure, parental pressure, and financial pressure. These things don't always have to be a negative. They're just part of life. Like you could be low in your bank account and you have financial pressure. It doesn't necessarily mean that evil is uh, unfolding in your life. It just means, hey, this is an opportunity to trust God and let's walk through this. And we live in a world of sin though. And as a result, there are these unnatural pressures that come up. In other words, it doesn't mean they have to be bad uh, influences on our life. It just means we have to be very watchful not to allow them to be turned in the devil's direction. So what I did in this list is I added another line to it. So with each of the seven most common pressure chambers, I showed the, uh, a result that can come out of it. Now this isn't like a perfect list where these things can only come out of that uh, one thing. They could, you could mix and match these in different ways. But political pressure, when you have political pressure, it oftentimes leads to corruption. So when you listen to the political pressure, when you, you know, it's like, hey, I need your vote, and if you don't, Give me that vote, hey, just know things aren't going to go well for you uh, next term. Okay, that's political pressure. And you got, you got someone arm twisting you and you're thinking, what, what could they do to me? And then you're starting to use your imagination of what they could do to you. And so what will you oftentimes do? You'll compromise. You'll compromise what you would have voted for because you're afraid of what that person will do to you. Okay, this is just power uh, politics. This is how it works, but it can lead to corruption. And so that's why governments oftentimes end up being corrupted because it's made up of humans, humans that fear man and fear what man can do to them. The second one, social pressure. What does this lead to? Duplicity. Now that's called hypocrisy in another, if you want to use another word for it. It's a doubling of life. And so oftentimes in front of the society, you'll live one way. You'll give them what they want but then in private, you'll be like, but I don't actually believe that. You know, here's what I actually believe. But then when you go out in front of them, you change. And so duplicity is like duplicate. Okay, there's like a, a, a copy of you, but it's not exact. You have one version of you over here, and you have another version of you over here, and it's different. Peer pressure oftentimes leads to promiscuity, which means to be loose with your morals. In other words... If you keep your morals, your peers will look at you like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Are you one of those types? You don't want to be one of those types. And so what you have a tendency to do is compromise your morality, and it leads to a looseness of living. Church pressure oftentimes can lead to Pharisaism. We expect you to be in here on time and seated upright. We expect you to face forward. We expect your kids not to cry. In other words, you create this 
false version of spirituality and righteousness in a church sometimes. It's not even purposeful always, but sometimes it is maybe. And it creates a plasticky version of Christianity, which we could call Phariseeism, where we want to look good on the outside, when on the inside we're dying. Family pressure can lead to men-pleasing. Parental pressure can lead to compromise. Financial pressure can lead to anxiety. So here's a really cool word. I actually had it on one line, and it ended up moving to two somehow. I'm not sure, but listen to this. Anthroparaskos. Isn't that cool? Anthroparaskos. And so this is, means, when it says men-pleasing in Scripture, it's this. And so the study to please man, it's actually a study. Sort of like, yeah, what are you going to school for? Well, I'm going for anthropotoskos. And what are you going to learn about? Well, how to please men. So you study society and figure out what is correct. You find out what makes them smile, and then you become it. And that's what this is. And this is so clearly delineated in Scripture that this is what we're not supposed to do. We are not supposed to make our life a study of what men want us to be. Now, I could, I could say as a follow-up, what do you think our study should be? <laughs> should it be what men desire us to be? Well, of course we know. I mean, in an environment like this, we're not going to say, yes, anthroparoskos, anthroparoskos. We're not going to support that in a room like this. However, the entire culture supports this. This is what makes you popular. This is what makes your brand sell. This is what makes you a great blogger and everyone wants to come listen to you because you're saying what men want to hear. You're tickling them where they want to be tickled. You're itching them in that very spot. Right there, right, right there, right there. Oh, that's what I wanted. And so what you're giving them is what they want, not what they need. Okay, remember this is a life lesson. I am a communicator. I want to give something that's going to cause people to say, yeah, I like Eric. Boy, Eric is a great speaker. Boy, did you hear what Eric said? It was so wise, so profound. However, you, you sort of blow that boat out of the water when you choose to make your content Jesus. When you choose to make your content, you need to die to yourself. You need to pick up a cross and follow him. Well, that, that's going to sabotage all the likability out of a message, isn't it? Because it goes directly against what pleases men. That doesn't please men. That offends men. Unless those men are ripened and ready to receive Jesus. So not with eye service, as Paul says in Ephesians, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Do I seek to please men, says Paul? Am I studying anthropotoskos? Is that what I'm doing? Am I studying to please you? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Whoa, guys, we just created a contrast there. So you choose. You want to be a men pleaser? Or do you want to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ? A bondservant of Jesus Christ, one who returns to him, is set free by his shed blood, and then returns to him and submits himself to him as a slave for life, and his ear is pierced with an awl against the door. And what he is saying is, I have an ear for you, Lord. Whatever you ask, my answer is yes. I do not have an ear for the world, and what they call upon me I will not do. I listen to you and you alone. I'm no longer a men-pleaser. I'm a God-pleaser. So here's our word. I mean, this, is, this is a real word, guys. It's a huge one, but theos paraskos. Theos paraskos. Now, if I, if I pronounced it 
Theos, it might ring a bell for those of you that are hearing this on the podcast, because that's how we would typically look at the word T-H-E-O-S, which means God in the Greek. But if we're going to pronounce it and sort of sound like Greek scholars here, which of course, you know, since we want to be men pleasers, right? We want to sound really smart. Theos paraskos uh, is how we would say it. But if you want to say theos paraskos, that's, it's just a cool sounding word though. I really like it. So what is this? This is precisely what God desires. Not to be men pleasers, but theos paraskos. Sandy just walked in, so I'm preaching to Sandy. Uh, that's like my way of saying, hey, you're supposed to be here at 8.50. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just happy to have you here. And aren't you glad you made the podcast too? Isn't that fun? Sandy's like, this is terrible. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. Uh, so, theos paroskos, choosing to please God over man. So what's your study? Yeah, I'm going to school to study theos paroskos. What's that? I want to know what pleases God. That's what I want. Considering obedience to God the primary virtue. So you have two options. You have anthropotoskos. You could study to please men. You could figure out what men want and you could give it to them. Or you could be a bondservant of Christ. Theos potoskos. And of course, this is what we all know in this room is what God has asked of us. Acts 4. So they, the rulers, elders, and scribes, called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Uh-oh, guys, we have a problem. Now the system of men is commanding the disciples, or in this case, the apostles, to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. It's exactly the message that we're getting today. It's just not as clear. It's not like someone's coming up to and saying, I forbid you to do that. But we still are getting the same message. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. Don't do your Christian thing in our culture. That is incorrect here. We don't approve that anymore. If you want to be in good standing with the mainstream, you will keep your mouth shut. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Is that our answer? What I would say is what we're hearing Peter say in this situation is exactly precisely what we should be saying in our souls. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. What do you think's better? The words of men and for me to tremble in fear before the authority of men or before the authority of God. What if they contradict? What if what God is asking of me contradicts that which the men of this world are asking? What if it is deemed politically incorrect, socially incorrect for me to obey God. What do I do? Remember, this is a life lesson. This is a very significant thing. And I said there's all sorts of zones of correctness. Like in a house, the fact that the looty kids are not supposed to smack their food is a good, healthy, you know, even though there might be some families out there that are like totally fine with smacking food, and that's great. But in our home, we have a sense of family correctness, and that's incorrect. And yet, my kids could reasonably question, say, is this godly? I mean, that my dad is prohibiting me from smacking my food. And what they'd find out is it falls within the pale of what Scripture would support, okay? And it'd probably just simply be just, hey, could you just obey your father in this? It'll go well with you if you do, okay? It could just fall into that. But there's nothing in Scripture that says, smack your food. That is the righteousness of God, right? However, there are all sorts of times in Scripture where God says, confess me before men. 
where he is literally giving us the commission to go boldly into a culture, remove a bushel and let our light shine. And so what if they say, put a bushel over it and hide it? What are we supposed to do? Well, you choose. You judge on this matter. Just use your intelligence on it. Is it better to listen to God or to men? Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Not men-pleasers, but to be well-pleasing to God Almighty. What a great statement. So, remember we talked about they? But what would they say? I'm going to talk about a heavenly they. Could you imagine if you were to take that one operation of your soul which pauses and considers what they would say? And you actually do consider what they would say. But the they is replaced. It's not an earthly man they. It's a divine they. And of course you could say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what, what, what would they say? You could. That would be a great uh, answer for it. But one of my favorite ways to look at it is that there's 66 they's. And they're sort of hanging out. There's this like committee of they. And uh, they're very wise, by the way. And they're God-assigned they's in our life. And they're the books of the Bible. There are 66 days in our life. And have any of us ever wondered, but what would they say? They aren't going to like this. Well, if they aren't going to like this, you probably shouldn't do it. In other words, it's the right they. There is supposed to be a they in your life. It's just not supposed to be men. It's supposed to be God. So the heavenly they, the 66 that always have something to say on the matter, a study in the power of biblical persuasion. So you are being persuaded by something. Something is working on your soul to steer you. Is it the culture? Is it the they of this world? Or is it the they of God? So we are going to submit to a they. Either we are going to be men pleasers or we're going to be God pleasers. We have to choose which one we are going to study. Anthropotoskos is the study the diligent schooling of the world upon our life so that we are conformed into the image of this world. So we look the way they want us to look. But what if we swap that out for theos, paraskos? And we said, God, I want to go to your school and I want you to train me and conform me into your image so that I'm pleasing to you. Well, I think it goes without saying which way I'm leaning, guys. This is a life lesson. But what would they say? What would the scriptures say? One of my earlier uh, life lessons was get, getting the Proverbs out on the table. And that's exactly the same concept. What would they say? Hey, guys, we have a, an issue here. We have a dilemma, a conundrum. We have a challenge. What do we do? Let's go to scripture. Let's see what they say. So it's not a bad question, but what would they say? Yeah, let's ask it. So the classic quotes about they. Now, I want you to imagine this with Scripture being the they, or you could say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it actually transforms the entire idea of they. But what would they say? But they won't like it. But they won't approve. You can get mad at that, that the Bible doesn't approve your behavior. I remember this one girl uh, that was in our life, this is quite a few years ago, and uh, she uh, had a sudden fascination and infatuation with a guy that was married. Okay, and she felt like God was saying to her that this was a good thing. Okay, and I made it very clear that that was not God. 
and she was so offended that I was so sure that it was not God. And it's as similar as just saying, they won't agree <laughs> with you. They don't like what you're doing. Who's they? It's God. God has already made his statements on this. They're already pre-decided. He's already given his opinion on this. He's not going to contradict himself and lead you into a relationship with a married man. Okay? I'm just telling you up front. I know they really well. And they don't agree with this. But they will never go for this. <laughs> Listen to this. Oh, this is a good finish, guys. You'll enjoy this. This is, this is in John 12, 43. For they, speaking of the Pharisees, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now listen to this. What if we, now this isn't an actual scripture verse, but if we took that exact same statement and inverted it to make it uh, something that is true, and we're going to quote Christian History 101, okay? For they, the true Christians, loved the praise of God more than the praise of men. That's what I desire in my life. I do desire people to like me. When I get dressed in the morning, I'm not thinking, how ugly can I make myself so that people would be disgusted with me? I desire to be attractive. I desire to smell good, to look good. I don't aim to be a mess. I aim to be pleasing in that sense. But I desire to please God more than men. So if in my daily actions, which I desire to be honorable and upright and respectful to everyone around me, and actually, if you ask me, why do you teach people, even your kids, to brush their teeth? Okay, what's the good reason? You could say, I could say, oh, so they won't get cavities. It's for their oral health. That would be part true. There's another one, and I've taught them from the very beginning. It's, it's dishonorable and disrespectful to not brush your teeth, okay? Because other people have to encounter you. And when you go <sighs> on them and they like, <sighs> onto the ground, that's not very effective. That's not loving them. And so as a result, we labor to comb our hair lest we be a distraction. We labor to get wrinkles out of our clothes lest we be a distraction. In other words, it's just a show of respect. You're saying you're valuable enough to me that I am going to go out of my way to present myself well to you so that it's pleasant in encountering my life. Okay, that's respect. But when it comes to the fact that I know that when I stand for Jesus or when I approach someone about their soul, that it could actually offend them. And everything in societal correctness would say, when someone has their arms folded, you leave them alone. But I still violate that because the Spirit of God is pressing me. And I come up to them and said, I know um, that maybe you don't want to talk to anyone right now. It looks like you're hurting, but would you mind if I asked you a couple questions? And they might say, no, I don't want you to talk to me. Could I say something to you? No. What do you do? I mean, those are hard moments, especially when you feel like God's saying, tell them that I love them. All right, I'm going to violate everything you just said to me, and I'm going to say something anyways. God wants you to know that he loves you. And the person could spit on you, even when you do it. You see, what you are doing is you are violating societal correctness 101. You're not supposed to do that, and yet is it better? You judge. Is it better 
to obey the Holy Spirit in that situation or that blustering person. And guess what? I'm pretty confident that blustering person was needing what you just said and will go home that night and will be wrestling with the fact that they were standing there in the corner of that uh, cocktail party and they were praying at that exact moment saying, God, I don't believe you're there, but if you are, prove it. And then you come out of nowhere with your societal incorrectness, but your obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this is how the world is changed. The world is not changed by us being men-pleasers. The world is changed by us being God-pleasers. So, for all of us, afresh, I'd love for this to be a life lesson for you too. This is a hard one, yes. I don't know that any of my life lessons have been actually that easy. But the life lessons of the kingdom of God press us against an earthly system. But they're not so that we can just be miserable. It's so that we can bring glory to God. If we want this life to be effective, we have to go in agreement with God. So let's do it. Father, we desire to study you, to study your word, to study your ways to be corrected to your pattern, to your form. Lord, even today, I can almost feel that you're setting us up for an encounter that would beckon us forward to speak where it would be maybe politically or socially incorrect to speak. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and the boldness and the courage to not fear men, but to fear you. We love you, and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.